0: So hello and welcome to the Liron Glickman Show, the show that explores the human component around business and marketing and communication in a hybrid and innovative world. I'm Liron Glickman, your host, a global business development consultant and a business relationship and personal branding strategist. And today I have the honor of hosting Eric Dromi, futurologist, strategic advisor, keynote speaker, and a professional troublemaker. Uh, how are you, Eric?
1: Hey, everyone. It's, um, it, it's getting more and more uh, uh, wintry outside in Sweden, but otherwise everything is perfect.
0: <laughs> so, is that true? Are you are you a professional travel maker? Uh, what does it
1: mean? Yeah, I think. I, <laughs> um, I, I mean, long time ago, I realized that uh, um, only when we feel uncomfortable, we raise our asses from the sofa and and drive change. So. I see it as a target to make as many people around me to feel as mostly uncomfortable as I can in order to drive change.
0: Okay, that's that's a, that's a good promise for, for the rest of the interview. So I'll uh, we'll definitely stick with that. I just want to say that this interview is being done in collaboration with our speakers agency, Thinking Head. So thank you for collaborating with us on this interview. Um, and, and with that in mind, we're actually going to talk about the art of questioning everything and create better results. That's what you're, you're, you're good at and that's what you're doing. So I'll just give a brief um, introduction and then um, I would love to learn more from you. So Arik Dromi is a futurologist and the founder and CEO of Tempus Modu Group, the breakthrough advisory board as a service platform. Uh, He spent years in helping executives and decision makers from the biggest corporations in the world to refine their offer and understand the potential impacts that lie along the road ahead. Eric's strength lies in his ability to identify patterns and challenge them, along with his ability to use those skills to define new directions and experiments that provide pathway forwards. With a long career in choice architecture and system design, innovation and futurology, Eric believes that our world is on the cusp of seismic change that that society, business, and uh, policymakers are not prepared for. And that's a very important thing because we're going to talk about how to try and be uh, more prepared, right? How to ask the right questions that leads to better results, shift our mindset to be able to overcome challenges that inevitably are going, to, are going to come, and how to use technology in a way that will support our growth as personal, uh, as human beings, as a company, and I guess, as a society. So. All right, uh, to start with, um, I would like to kind of lear- learn more about you first. So um, as a future futurist, um, you know, you see things differently, you identify patterns and help challenge them. Now, you mentioned in a previous interview that uh, you, you were born as a dysgraphic and dyslexic, and I, want, I would like to know how did that help you to see things differently and down the line, of course, become a futurist?
1: I mean, um, being born in the beginning of the '70s, which makes me almost 50 right now, but um, you know, dyslexia and dysgraphica was not something that was uh, openly, you know, b- people openly spoke of. And as a result, I was just, you know, the school system thought I was lazy. It's not like I was getting additional support or or advice how, how to read, how to write better. And I found myself struggling with the traditional education systems and spending hours and hours sitting at home with encyclopedias, dictionaries, and, and memorizing the shape of words rather than learning how to read uh, letters. Uh, happened to be the case that at uh, the age of eight, two, two of the first uh, books I, I read was uh, Jules Verne's All the Way to the Moon and uh, The Clockwork Orange, which is not something I recommend for young kids to, to read. but. Uh, these two books open a whole new world um, inside of me of imaginations and and I grew up with science fictions with you know the curiosity of, of exploring where technology can actually take us and I think without being dyslectic and this graphic without locking myself in the room trying to understand how you know the, the shape of words and and you know, landing on these two books, I would have never had this inner drive to see, okay, what can come next? What else can we do? Uh, So a lot of people think that this lecture, this graphic, oh, that's a curse. No, I don't think it's a curse. Yes, I do still struggle today. You know, give me a completely new word that I've never seen before. I can't read it. Uh, You need to, I can memorize it, but I cannot, I cannot read it, but it gave me such a huge gift of, of, exposing me to the magic of curiosity that's you know that's where it's all coming from
0: and i remember you mentioned in a previous interview that um one of the most important um assets for you are curiosity and creativity and obviously i understand this this comes from from that experience. And I would even say, you know, you lived in, in different countries, like you were in Israel, um, Sweden, Bulgaria. I mean, you know, you, you've been around and you had to challenge, I guess, those, uh, those abilities and, and actually um, improve them through that.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, I've been uh, like to think of myself as a, a descendant of a nomadic uh, bloodline. Well, we all are, but I think. My genes um, emphasize the nomadic uh, heritage much more. so I travel all around the world and um, part of being curious landed me you know landed me also working as, as a keynote speaker as an advisor and, and going to you know, remote locations around the globe just to better understand the different societal structures how do we repurpose things I mean we live in a, in, in a such a diverse reality. And, and I'm always baffled when politicians try to fold it into a very, very narrow mindset, which is, is it, it's, it's, it's insane. Um, different societies has different type of, of adaptations of the technology, different type w- ways of, of repurposed technologies. And, and somehow the global leadership is, is trying to put everyone in a streamline and, and preventing the learning ability to go from one place to another. I think the European Union where, where I find myself these days is, is an excellent example of, of a, a, a governance model that is killing curiosity, creativity and trying to create a very homogenic a, a society ignoring the, these two natural beauties that we have, which is creativity and curiosity,
0: definitely. And I also want us to—we we will gonna kill some sacred cows, like uh, moving forward. Oh, but please, if we'll go a bit, because you just mentioned that, and I would, I do want to to, to touch upon it, but. You know, I, I, when I speak, I, I talk a lot about the fact that the human brain hasn't changed for 10,000s of years, though technology you know, is, is accelerating in, in an enormous space. And sometimes there is a gap between our ability to grasp it than, than what is actually out there. And with that in mind, I would like to know what, what do you think, what should be the optimal connection or collaboration between addressing or harnessing our basic human needs to, and, and using technology in a way that would support it?
1: Let's go back to the statement that the human brain, you know, haven't evolved, haven't, well, we evolved, but we didn't really evolve for thousands of years. There is a research from 2013, um, Cambridge, of one of the other universities, shows that the, um, the area in our brain responsible for orientation significantly shrunk since GPS became a commercial application. I think we see for the first time that not only our mental models and uh, perceptions are evolving, but we can clearly see that part of our biology is changing due to the way we're using technology. Uh, and I will not judge right now for good or bad, but it's something that we need to accept. Mm-hmm. If if you, yeah. um, you know, it's not so far fetched to imagine that, you know, the dominant muscles in our hands will be the thumbs, as this is what we type. That's with. what I wanted to say.
0: That's what they're uh, saying. It's going to be longer. <laughs>
1: it's, it, I mean, it's going to be longer. It's going to be stronger. I mean, there. it is natural evolutions. And we, we still tend to think about technology from screens and, and you know, touch screens and, and you know, but Axe is a technology. I mean, the first Axe is one of the first technological tools we created. It, it's pushed our evolutions, you know, and, and, and drove us forward. Technology is not just digital, it's, it's all around us and it's an integral part of our natural evolution. With that being said, for the first time right now through our relationship with technology, it's not just society in changing, it's not just the narrative around us are changing, but our biological structure is trying to change. And more than ever, these days, it's extremely important to understand accountability and responsibility for what's going to happen next. Uh, TikTok is more addicted than heroin and cocaine. I mean, who is accountable for that? And and that has a fundamental impact on who we are as as human. We live in a society that is, you know, we are not counting how many, I mean, let's say everyone is counting that. How many cars I drove in my life, how many people I had sex with, how many apartments I I moved in my life. But it's something that we carry within us. It's something that is part of our experience. We don't go and flush it out. With that being said, how many people liked my post? How many people didn't like my post? We are pushed beyond a reasonable logic to to be a slave of of this type of, of trends around us that it's really worrying, and, and you can see the impact on our, our, it takes 1.3 seconds for us to decide if we want to see the next video on YouTube or not. We don't really decide what to watch. Algorithms decide for us what are we going to watch. Algorithms decide for us what we are going to buy, what we are going to read, and as sense we live in a world that no one is diving into the data anymore, we're just uh, consuming other people's opinions, and we all know that Other people's opinions are very subjective. They are not objectives. So we do live an extremely subjective reality due to technology. And I don't see any adult supervisions being uh, brought into this mix to say, hey, hey, what will be the impact 100 years from now? How will society is going to look like 100 years from now? You know, I, I always go back in these questions to the movie Wall-E. If you haven't watched it, go and yep. watch it. It's 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 a brilliant depiction of how society is is going to look like due to the lack or the inability of decision makers to really grasp what is the power of technology these days. I always believe that technology should be invisible. It should be transparent. It should pop up and help us to take decisions when decision. It needs to be taken. It should cater to our needs and wants, but it should move out of the way so we can experience our wishes because curiosity and creativity hides behind wishes most of all. And if technology is catering first for our wishes, then we already lost it.
0: So, following to what you said, we actually perceive people through their social media, through how many likes they, they have. You know, I would decide if I want to work with you or not sometimes depends on this superficial. Uh, um you know commenting which doesn't necessarily usually doesn't represent reality and then again there is no manual you know maybe you and i were born to to an analog world so we have some broader perceptions but the younger generation they all they know is is me you know is screens and it's social media and they don't have any set of rules or manual to how to deal with that and i think that's for for me that's what what scares me the most in in some parts of of innovation but if you want to take it to, to, to this kind of line, so how, how would machines are going to replace us, you know, as, as technology and innovation becomes more prominent and and where to draw the red lines and how can we, if at all, do that?
1: I mean, I'm always surprised that we we get this question, how will machines are going to replace us? Like machine never replaced us before. Everyone has a dishwashing machine at home. Didn't it replace us doing, you know, some kind of a labor? We have... Machines in in factories for, for, you know, that's for the last 200 years. It's it's not something new. Uh, What is new and what we should focus on is where will machines replace more of our cognitive functions and what will be the impact of such a thing. When they first introduced the dishwashing machine, it was introduced as a time-saving magic box, and it was target to, you know, housewives, women, because they used to do the dishes at home at that time when it was first introduced. And um, surprisingly, uh, it didn't take. Uh, it didn't take because from a marketing point of view, they completely ignored the fact that that was the only quiet time that housewife had during the day to stand and do the dishes. Because obviously the kids are not there and the husband is not there. That's the only time they had for themselves. So no one wanted that time to be taken away. So they needed to change the marketing approach, and suddenly it was like it's much more sanitary to use the dishwashing because your hands cannot take the temperature as in the dishwashing, and that was the magic trick. I mean, uh, the automated clutch, you know, system replaced the manual gear system in 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 the car. That was another automation. The the more interesting questions to look is what happened when a car is becoming fully autonomous and you're sitting in the back seat? and when I say that people are saying oh wait wait we have a taxi and Uber is like an automated car you're sitting in the back seat, and someone is driving you yes but your mental model see that it's another human that is actually controlling the movement you can relate to that you can infuse yourself into that situation. We have no idea what will be the impact on our mental perspectives when there is no one in the front seat. We we, we are, from the days we have been hunter-gatherers, we have been always in control of our movement. Even if we followed someone like a taxi driver, Uber driver, an airplane driver, we have been always in control of our movement. When we are removing that, we have no idea what the implications are going to do and that is you know that question drills down to what happens when you're going to be diagnosed by an algorithms when you go to the doctor when your case is going to be taken by a robot when you need to go to court we don't know how we, we it's impossible to predict it because human behavior is a non-linear chaotic system and in such a system, there is no there isn't any implicit order. There are only two systems like this on the planet is human behavior and it's climate. That's it. So we, we we can't we can't predict. And if we don't try to cater for the worst case scenario day one, we are going to end ourselves in in in, in, in deep shit. And mean, everyone is talking about universal basic incomes. Machines are going to replace, and you know, I mean, really? I mean. What does you know? What, what is it going to do on our functional, you know, basic functional needs as humans? Because we do need to move. We need to interact with people. We need to work. And and people don't cannot even differentiate the difference between you know labor and work these days. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone everyone wants a everyone wants a job, but no one wants to work anymore. That's the <laughs> that's that's our reality. That's
0: exactly. Yeah. Uh,
1: and again, I I miss philosophical discussions on world stage about the, the impact of and, and I'm not against it I think technology we cannot disconnect technology from our evolution and every time we peak a certain and we are definitely you know on, on, on the peak of a certain mountain right now we need to find a way to Climb higher, or if I always describe it, standing on the banks of the Rubicon, we need to cross to the other side. But it needs to be done in a much smarter way because yeah. technology is here to enhance us, not to replace us. It's there to make us better doctors, better lawyers, better humans—not a smart human, but a smarter human. Not a smart, not a smartphone, but a smarter phone.
0: Yeah. And and
1: the difference between smart to smarter is huge because. When you put smart in front of something you just talk about the technology and ignore the function smart mm-hmm. city a lot of sensors yeah. but we forget the human needs to leave it so we need a smarter city a learning and rejuvenating city a learning and rejuvenating government these discussions doesn't happen right now and
0: yeah quite sad and i think that's that's exactly the point like i remember reading this um Research that says that you gave the example of court and and judge and the research says that if you know if the judge uh, just woke up and he felt better he just had a fight with his uh, spouse then that would definitely um, impact in a way their their result in in the uh, in you know in the courtroom. So as you said, if you can if we could use technology to become smarter in the um, court decisions or again or doctor decision that would be the best way and and I think then the question is. Then you know who who takes who takes the the wheel and you know who actually going to drive this car and, and, and make it happen, and and obviously it's policymakers, it's individuals, it's people like yourself. I mean, how can how can make well, it actually I, happen?
1: I, I like the you know I, I like fighter fighter pilots if, if we can bring fighter pilots in these discussions because when when a pilot when a fighter pilot is in, in engaged in in a dogfight or in any type, type of, of tactical mission, the symbiotic relationship between the pilot and the plane are quite magical today. When the pilot is engaging in a dogfight, then the airplane is controlling 90% of the operational environment in the plane. So it can clear the pilot to do that specific task that only that pilot can do in that specific moment of time. But when there isn't any mission and the pilot is flying, then the pilot is flying the plane. And the algorithms, the airplane itself is monitoring by using 10% of its computation capacity just to monitor the pilots to see there is no mistakes, to give a nudge. That's the symbiotic relationship I would like to see. for a doctor to be able to catch up today with everything that goes around the medicine world, I, mean, I think I think they, they need to spend yeah. 80 hours a week only reading. We can't do that. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to human interactions, when it comes to tell someone a diagnosis, when it comes to understand contextual complaints of a patient, no machine can do that. Exactly. And you need to have this symbiotic relationship not one thing replace another, but they need to coexist on the same plane field.
0: I love I love the examples that you gave I think it makes a lot of sense. And if I want to take it more to the um, startup world or organizational you know uh, world or new world of work as, as they say, you know you, you said in the, the previous interview that um, we should rethink the box, not think outside of the box. So how can you say, take this um, this concept of rethinking the box? When it comes to the daily encounters and challenges of founders or managers in organizations,
1: I mean, every startup that I met think that they are uh, they just reinvented the wheel. <laughs> I mean, I've been there, they done did. that. They did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the every every startup I met, I mean, yeah, I I would like startups and, and and founders and and you know creators to stop and think. I mean, yes, the idea is really good, but. Does the world really need 1,000 fitness apps, 2,000 dating apps? Three thousand, uh, you know, uh, any type of other apps. I mean, do we really need another one of these apps? No, I unique take. It's fantastic. We have a different interface. It's just a fucking interface. It's not a unique take. I mean, end of the day, it's like obviously
0: you know, it addresses it addresses niches or you know specific audiences. That's that's what obviously
1: they're they're aiming. I mean, I, I mean yes, but the functionality is still there. Mm-hmm. Um, I had discussions this morning with with. Um, my wife we talked about uh, we actually came she read a very interesting article about Steve Jobs some of his last you know thoughts before 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 he died was that you know there is no difference of driving a 3000 dollars car to a 300000 dollars car because in the end of the day it's an instrument to take you from one place to another the question is do you want to you want to feel more comfortable in it or you don't want to feel more comfortable in it mm-hmm. and i think this is a question that startups needs to ask themselves do you want to cater for strategic challenges that we have as a society then we need your solutions needs to tackle the fundamental narrative of what the problem actually is Mm -hmm. or do you want to cater for something very tactical to have a short exit and you know make a lot of money it's 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 just a different approach i would like startups to start with asking much more questions than rather than and 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 that is a disease um that i see today that's Everyone is jumping directly onto the, you know, the wagon band of solutions rather than trying to understand what are the questions that we need to ask. Because, um, and again, this is why we're ending up in 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 a world that there are hundreds of thousands of applications around us, but how many of them actually? prevented the energy crisis that we find ourselves in? Right. How many of them prevented the war that we find ourselves in in Europe these days?
0: So what, what kind of questions? Because, you know, from the founders, for example, startups that I work with, many times they had some some issues or problems or they, they heard or defined some problem and then they're, they're starting to, you know, find the solution for that. So what would be the right questions in the starting point or even after you, you've been there for a while?
1: The, the first question... <laughs> Does the market really need this? because my problem is not necessarily everyone else's problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so does the market need it? Is it a really fundamental problem? Is it a societal problem or is it a niche problem that fits twenty years old that uh, you know that lives in Stockholm? Mm-hmm. I, I mean I don't see these questions being be, being asked. The second question is that I mean I, I always like to talk to marketing executives and marketing teams in general and says like okay traditionally how do we look into our communication strategy right we we divide the world into like segments so we always have housewives it's Mm -hmm. still there unfortunately then we go to the elderies then we go to early adopters we go to business and then we go to teenage these are usually there and i'm like everyone needs to sleep right that goes so what is the horizontal plane of your solution? That is a fundamental question to ask before you go and, 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 and put money and go to, you know, and how this horizontal plane correlate? What is the reciprocal relationship between your horizontal planes to other horizontal planes that exist there? Uh, what is the Metcalf effect of your, the network effect of your solution? How can each and every App download is not just to contribute to the applications that have been before, but for the ecology of the users that they live in. I mean, I would like them to be more holistic rather than we have a nice AI that can draw something when you tell it how to draw it. Nice, but you know, you know, magic is, you know, technology is magic because we don't understand it. That's it.
0: Yeah. But don't you think, on on one hand, you know, sometimes, investors are trying to, to, or their job is to give them the broader view, uh, investors or clients, but I think it's the, the, the problem here is deeper. I mean, you mentioned, let's think, um, a shift from linear to systematic. I mean, there is, and I'm sure you see such such challenges in, in different organizations that you see, some patterns that are, that are, you know, you see them over and over again, of, of wrong questioning or wrong thinking. So if you can share with us some of the lessons that you've learned from working with organizations.
1: In organizations and startups, Mm-hmm. in that case, cannot see beyond the next quarter. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is a huge challenge. Now, uh, a lot of organizations put a lot of money and effort into, uh, let's have a disruptive innovation. Let's look into transformative innovation. We keep forget that progress is achieved only through linear innovations. We need to build on what we have. The downfall of a lot of organizations and projects happen because they Try to disrupt their core earning model and replace it without knowing if it's going to to work. And they see the they, they are looking for the fast money in the next the next quarter. I think the first thing is we need to understand is organization is built out of three layers. We have the core earning model. Even even if you are a startup, you know the first questions. And this is something I'm telling organizations all around the world. Um, I always ask, what's the purpose of your business? And oh, to change the world, to build the best cars, to have the best fitness app. No, that's not the purpose. The purpose as a business of any business on the world is one and it's to make money. Otherwise you should not exist. That's the purpose of a business. And people hate when I say that, but I'm sorry, that's the purpose of a business because you cannot change the world or build the fitness app if you don't have money. You need to make money. So identify your basic core earning model and don't ever, ever try to disrupt that one because that's, What enable you to relieve some of the management power to ask the next question. How do I entice and defend my core earning model in an ever-evolving world around us? Once you ask that question and you have an answer and you started to deploy projects around that, take it to the next stage Mm -hmm. and then ask, okay, how do I expand the pie? Because obviously, looking outside in, my core earning model can create new business environment if X, Y, Z. This is where collaboration of, and, and partnership comes into, into play. Mm-hmm. Everything I describe right now is driven by a linear thinking. Yep. If you immediately try to jump into disruptive, transformative innovation, that's great. Make few billions, run your moonshot as much as you want. But everything else should be a skunk work mm-hmm. because skunk work is very short time frame. You have one problem descriptions and you have one solution that can answer, that can be deployed immediately. Mm-hmm. I've seen, I've seen, you know, organizations spending like five, six years, you know, mm-hmm. trying to design solutions to a problems that will not even occur in the next seventy years. And then when mm-hmm. they try to deploy it, no one is even aware that this problem. I mean, all of this money went down down the drain instead of like catering and to the how do we entice and defend the core model? How do we expand the pie? the thinking needs to be different
0: yeah got it um yeah so um so you were saying about the fact that organizations actually need again to ask the right question, think differently, think for, for the long run. And I want to even get it to into a deeper resolutions of the, the ancient dilemma of what which one is more important, the product or the marketing? Um, you know, what is the best, what are the best, the best questions to tackle that within our, our organizations to really create the best product, but also create the best marketing, not to waste time and, and make it in the right way.
1: So number one, the best product simply doesn't exist. If you, dec- if, if you think that you have done the best product, don't go into business at all because um, the best product is the evolution of the idea. It's, it's the, prof- the process of constantly creating and iterating and improving and understanding and daring to change and to shift. If you fall into this best product, you're going to end up like Kodak or Nokia. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Because so it's it's not the best product. I think it's the. I mean, there are a very tight reciprocal relationship between uh, product and and marketing. And I I always laugh when I'm going into a marketing department to take a bulletproof vest because someone is going to shoot you or stab you in the back. But um, the the old way of doing things, right? You have a group of engineers in dungeons. Don't see the daylight in Sweden. They can be outside. They still don't see the yeah. daylight. It's fine. Um, designing a product with you know in a complete vacuum. After 20 years, they are giving it into another dungeon that is called marketing. And the people that for marketing department that have never, never, never seen that product or never knew that anyone is developing it, going around it, looking at it. Aha. Okay. This is a message for this product that will understood by the rest of the world. That's the old way of doing things. Um, as much as I. Um, I have love-hate relationship to uh, Elon Musk. Uh, I love his marketing approach. I mean, he, he didn't create Tesla, he bought Tesla. So we start with that, but he sent his engineers to the streets of San Francisco, not to the entire city. He sent them to a one fucking street. He says, let's go and talk to the people that has a problem but don't do it alone let's let's understand let's define the questions with 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 f- from a psychology and marketing point of view he likes to sing you know i don't like to spend any money of marketing but you know everything he's doing is marketing in the end of the day and, and they define the problem together they design the solution together with the people they understood positive frictions negative frictions and he says guys only you in the streets can buy this product you know screw the rest of the of the neighborhood mm. is it working Yes. Oh, do we need to change that? Okay, let's change it. Let's go. Okay, now let's ask the next street what do they think about it? And after a while, the entire city has been involved, and then another city and another city, and the rest of history.
0: Yeah.
1: Marketing is not a Google ads or Facebook ads. Marketing Mm -hmm. is a constant dialogue. If you don't have that, your product sucks. Yeah. And if you try to tell me that you have a product development team and a marketing development team, you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. it's the same team yeah. because marketing is the people that knows how to talk to your clients, not tell them what do they need, but understand what they need and translate that into something very coherent that your engineers can actually build. Uh, one of the companies that is doing brilliant, brilliant jobs of mm-hmm. um, uh, putting these things together is actually Leatherman. They're, they're, their marketing they team know how and, to build <laughs> they, because they ask the questions they, they, I mean, their marketing team are involved from day one with, with the creative process, with the engineering process. And and their engineers are involved with their target process. Day one, they're testing together things. They have like this, you know, constant direct feedback loop with I mean so it's 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 a brand. Yeah. At the end of the day. So you can never, never separate product from 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 marketing.
0: I have to say that this is one of the best answers I got to this question. <laughs> And, and as you said eventually it's it's a dialogue like one cannot be without the other but i think you, you you explained it beautifully and let me take it even one step deeper it's about the collaboration so they the marketers should collaborate with the product that should collaborate with the um and potential customer so collaboration is obviously an integral part of, of, of humanity and how we you know evolved um how to collaborate right and again with with the with the understanding um one another asking the right, the right questions what would be your um, what would be your advice to do it right to get to the right solutions?
1: I mean, if, if, if you're a small team, it's very easy, right? Neither you have the chemistry or you don't have the chemistry. Uh, if you don't have the chemistry, don't fight, to it. don't fight for it. I mean, look at all of the greatest band that ever created. They always had like a, uh, a member of the band that left really early and then the magic came, came in. Um, Excluding the doors they started as a fantastic (laughs) industry. I mean, uh, the problem starts with a bigger organization and and you need an extremely assertive leadership and uh, you need to not be afraid to promote the right people rather than the wrong people as most organizations are doing. And you need to not be afraid of creating a very flat organization. Mm Uh, you know you need to I like uh, holocracy very much as a way of running organizations because everyone in holocracy everyone has a title that really reflects what they 're actually doing, so you know how to ask the, the right questions mm-hmm. um, You need leadership that says like okay, every member before you start to work, you need to take the Colby test so we can understand what's what drives you what takes energy from you what's you know what's leaves you on a plateau um, You need a leadership that says we are not going to have." marketing teams or R&D teams or IT teams, we are going to have these clusters and these clusters are going to be with a mixture of people. Each cluster will have a cognitive psychologist and a creative director. Each cluster is going to have developers. They're going to have people that we call marketing today, people that we can and and they will focus around the output of the problems that we gave to them. We should have an organization that doesn't ask people to design product, but to deliver answers to questions that the leadership is asking them. When that happens, I think we're going to see a massive change around us.
0: And this is definitely a different way to look at that, to look at teams, to look at people in organization, to give them what they need and take, you know, make sure that exactly. they give back what they what they have to give. Um, and and I, I hope that more and more organization would, would definitely uh, uh, fall into that. Um, and, and, you know, that takes me to the killing sacred cows section. So within organizations and, and again, startups that are just growing and it's important for them to build the, the culture, you know, on on, the, on a good ground. There are many um, buzzwords, as, as you and I talked before, that they don't necessarily lead to solution. For example, diversity and inclusion. It's so important, but. If you see it, organizations still bringing friends of friends over and less women, for example, um, education that is right for the digital world and that it needs to be constantly uh, nourished, uh, ESG, for example. So how should we or we are startups or, again, growing organizations um, address those on, on the different levels and the macro or, or the micro to really make it work and, and really make something out of it and not just say the buzzwords? I
1: mean it it's it, um it goes back to the, the the type of leadership that we have around us i think that um everyone is talking about diversity and a lot of people say it's very important that we are going to hire more afro-american people or we are going to hire more women i'm like don't we need to hire the best people for the job first i mean Society is still driven by the differences between man and woman, black, white, short, tall, fat, skinny. And they don't look about the impact that the personality of that person can bring on the job in hand. I would like to work in a company that always, always hire the best people to, <laughs> to come and work for them, regardless if they're man, women, black or white. I mean, that, that, that's, that's the first thing. And I would like to see leaders actually saying that. Uh, the second thing is like, you know, Sweden, they're very proud. We have like women working everywhere. And I'm like, okay, take the CEO of this bank and the CEO of this bank. Man, woman, he, he's getting twice the salary of her. That's, I mean, so you can always break down, you can always break down a uh, 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 diversity. I think we are looking at diversity from a completely uh, different perspective. It's its not the differences between us. It's, it's the qualities that we can bring around to a work to create the product diverse enough to, to to tackle the problems. And, and the second part of your question is about education. And, and I'm always laughing about, you know, what's supposed to be universities, the cradle of, of you know, societal and technological innovation around us. These are the most old fashioned stuck in the past organizations in existence. <laughs> I mean, uh, that fundamentally needs to change. We still, I mean, we are trying to teach a generation of kids to cater for the future by teaching them, yes, using yesterday rules, uh, that doesn't work. We're still trying to create, you know, computer engineers or, I mean, we are using, you know, Carl Sagan once says, you can never look for life on other planets using yesterday's eyes, or, you know, that is how we perceive life today we still think that life should be carbon-based. And I think that's the best example for organizations. They still think that the future should be rooted in how they have done things so far. And that comes into the the area of thought fixations, what exists is right and should should it be changed. But Mm -hmm. that doesn't hold water anymore because clearly we don't have generations of leaders around us that understand the, the importance of the challenges that we are facing right now. On geopolitical levels, on environmental level, on, on, on societal level, on technological level, I mean, when, when I see a member of the Senate or Congress, I don't remember asking Mark Zuckerberg when I send an email using WhatsApp. I mean, I, where where are you? A um,
0: wrong question. <laughs> I mean, yeah.
1: We again, we we live in extremely extremely short attention attention span reality, very superficial and and. That is something that should be answered by global leadership, but we don't have global leadership at the moment. And that's extremely sad. And, And I don't see any changes happening to the education system at the moment. And that means we will not have a generation of kids that can actually take on tomorrow at the moment.
0: Yeah, you know when when you look at uh, the Israeli high tech scene, um, there is much and growing emphasis on on educating um, kids from a young age, from school to with, to learn the STEMs um, subjects, or you know, to to want to think a bit differently. But that's only I mean, if they're in the right place. Yeah, let's right let's, let, let,
1: let's slaughter this holy cow yeah. of the Israeli uh, high tech scene. I mean, Israeli has some of the best best. Um, yeah. Tactical minds on the planet, and I'm emphasizing tactical mind. Yeah. And Israel, from a very young age, they, um, uh, they teach you, you know, it, it's the military training from kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, strive to get contact with the target, eliminate yeah. the target as much as possible, win every battle. This creates a generation of tactical thinkers that is second to none around the world. Mm-hmm. That's why Israel can win any battle, but it will never avoid the war at the end of the day. Why didn't Apple or Facebook or, you know, Instagram or WhatsApp came from Israel? Because Israel high techs are, you know, they're always looking for the fast exit. There isn't any holistic approach. Some of the best technology, I don't doubt, but it's tactical, it's not strategical. And it's something tactical, is absolutely not sustainable because when the generation of young Chinese of what they are doing with them in universities right now and what's happening in India at the moment or what starts to happen in Africa in 10 to 15 years will make Israel look like a third world country when it comes to innovation and high tech. Mm -hmm. I mean everyone is talking about, oh, look at this uh, AI company that came out of Israel. I'm sorry, Israel doesn't even come close to what's happened to AI in the Balkans at that moment mm-hmm. of time. That's because tactical thinking versus strategical thinking and the government never, never prioritized strategical thinking in Israel. It's mm-hmm. always tactical. So that's the cow I would like to slaughter on that. And, and, and you know, I, I, I've seen the books, I've read the books. I, I, I talk to people, it's all tactical.
0: I agree with you. I mean, as you said, we are very much result-driven. You know, it started from our need to be, uh, to, to. We are surviving, or survival, uh, uh, that we need. You know, to make sure that we will continue to live here. We will continue the the Jewish uh, heritage and so on. But I do think that in the last few years, there is an understanding that we need to to get more, uh, to work more with, when the company grows, she understands she has to have American management or American, you know, uh, more involved, or again, not necessarily American, but that's the main market. Um, and today in order to become a scale up nation and not the startup nation, there is a need for what you said, to bring outside thinkers and outside approach to be able
1: to- I, mean, I, I spend a lot of time looking yeah. into uh, Singapore, uh, the Singapore mm-hmm. both ecosystems and and, and ecology yeah. um, Singapore used a lot of the Israeli uh, growth model mm-hmm. um, as as a tool to to drive the Singapore growth uh, with one big difference they adopted the strategic thinking on a very early stage so when when people are talking about digital twins, they're talking about Singapore, not about Israel. Uh, that's the model they, are created, they have created. So it can be done. And I would like to see companies like Apple and Facebook or the next generation coming from Israel and not selling it to company like Intel that simply doesn't know to do what to do with a company like Mobileye and then eventually driving it into the ground in their you know, miserable IPO. It's an issue of education, like we went back and it fundamentally needs to change, but it's not going to change overnight. You need an assertive leadership that says this is our goal for the next 50 years. I think Israel, uh, the West in general, has this problem that they they put a strategy for the next four years. But for the next four years, that is not a strategy on a nation level. That is a, a tactic. Yeah, uh, you know, I always use China and they saying, can you use China? Yes, because yeah. they put a strategy for the next thousand years. So let's not put a strategy for the next thousand years. Let's put a strategy in know. Israel. Let's take the next 50 years because that's what we need to, to educate a completely new you know or, or to have a completely different perspective on our education systems but otherwise we are driven just by tactical thinking the next four years like i said in organization the next quarter
0: so if i'm one of the main things that I'm taking from from our conversation is we need to think differently we need to think more strategically and and even you know overlooking different segments and and we we say okay well, we need the leadership to do it but when there is a lack of leadership then i think each and every one of us if, if even if we just finished university, or if we've been to the organization for 20 years each and every one of us should adopt such thinking so um i guess just to sum it up what would be the the different uh, mindset or thinking where can we learn each and every one of us what can we learn to to try to be independent thinkers and try to to lead the change that uh, that needs to be led uh, in our society
1: i mean it goes back to uh, a few minutes ago we mentioned the idea of the the, the thought of thoughts fixations um, use that to have in the back of your head and says, you know, uh, what exists in raw is wrong and should constantly change. Have that, that approach, you know, challenge everything around you. Try to kill every idea you hear, every idea that comes your way. Because in the end of the day, the ideas that can survive your cynicisms or your bleak approach, these are the ideas that can hold water for the long run. I would like to have every organizations and, and, and startup, I would like to have like a, a bad guy that, you know, he's the gatekeeper or she's the gatekeeper that will say, this sucks, go and do it again. No, nope, that's not going to work. Go and try again. Because eventually it will come to a point. I, one of the reasons that Jonathan Ivey eventually left Apple is because Steve Jobs constantly tell you that was bad. It sucks, do it again. And suddenly when Steve Jobs died, everyone told him, oh, Jonathan, it's perfect. I mean, there's no challenge anymore. And if there is no challenge, we're living in a very, very average world. Mm -hmm. So have this approach to yourself, things that everything you do sucks. Yeah. Because by the time you cannot, oh, that's not sucks, that's really good. Then you know that it's really, really good and it will hold hold water.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So that will really help us define what's, what's good when we, when we make sure that we are, or people around us, are the devil's advocates in, in, in those situations. Exactly. Um, can I ask, what are what is one main um, habit that you can share with us that, that works for you? You know, again, you're, you're reading, you're out there, you're, you're synthesizing information. What's one habit that we can learn from, from, from what works for you?
1: Um, I run long distances. And...
0: Literally run,
1: or <laughs> no? No, I, I, I run ultras. Yes, <laughs> I literally run. Do you have uh, it, uh, the the bracelet? There is a... no. It's just uh, a, just, uh, just uh, the just a Garmin, and even that I'm uh, giving up now when I'm uh, training because I, I learned through the years to listen in, to listen to my body. I mean, um, the one habit that I have is to try and disconnect from everything Mm -hmm. and it took me a lot of years to uh, to learn that because i mean your brain needs rejuvenating and recovering the same way that your body does and i you know i I rejuvenate my body when i'm not training and i rejuvenate my rejuvenating my brain when i do train Mm -hmm. so i i created this interesting relationship between the two um but try to disconnect try to to go out and spend more time outside, you know, forget the screens for, for few hours. Go, go and take a walk. I tend to take a lot of my meeting outside when I'm, you know, walking in the forest because why not? You I'm, have I'm, a forest. I'm... Oh yeah, I have a forest. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> uh, we have a forest and twenty four lakes where we live, yeah. which is uh, beautiful. Um, but. We live in a world that um, the ability to disconnect is uh, very, very fast becoming uh, an impossibility. You need to find Mm -hmm. these time gaps to disconnect. um, Mm -hmm. That's what will enable you to absorb much more information in the long run. Mm -hmm.
0: That's a very, very, very important thing uh, that we should all do. I think the, the the... yeah, as you said, it, it balances, and I know for me, I just came back from a vipassana for four days, vipassana, and and I just didn't want to come back. I mean, it was so good to finally or suddenly be without technology. And, and as you said, the thing that the mind go through in the body, it's definitely uh, uh, such a great experience. And if, as you said, you were able to do it on a constant basis and give this to yourself, then
1: do wonders. People think you need a lot of
0: mm-hmm. planning
1: to do that. You you, you, yeah. you don't. I mean. Um, before the meeting uh, today, I spend uh, half an hour on a punching bag just to take the, you know, the, the heart rate uh, up very much up. Up uh, tomorrow, I know I have a meeting. I'm going to take the meeting while I'm taking a walk. Uh, you know, taking few few kilos on in my backpack and going for a rack. I mean, it's it's so simple to achieve, but yeah, you can weave it into the flow of the day, and it's. A, you don't need to go for Vipassana for four days. You can have like 40 minutes of Vipassana during a 24 hours period. And, and, and that is more than enough.
0: Thank you so much. That's definitely a great uh, point to, to end this interview with. So Alec Domi, futurologist, strategic advisor, keynote speaker, professional travel maker, um, out of the box and thinker uh, and thinking of the box as well. Um, thank you so much. It's been very enlightening, very interesting to learn how you view things, your your tips uh, uh, to manage life and business. And um, I want to thank you for watching the Liron Glickman show, the show that explores the human component around business marketing in a hybrid and a technological world. Um, if you want to... Uh, connect with Eric. then you can definitely go to his LinkedIn account, your website, www.arikjeromi.com and email is speaking at arikjeromi.com. The links will be just next to this video. Um, thank you so much.
1: It has been a pleasure, Leroy.
0: Same here. You're invited to subscribe to the channel and um, I'll see you all next time on the Leroy Blakeman Show. Thank you and take care. What do you want to do with Kevin?